This is Maggie Blue O'Hara, a.k.a. Kitty Pride from X-Men Evolution, and you're listening to a special episode of Power of X-Men. I hope you survived the experience. Polaris in the comic books recently is depicted with her coffee. Like, what is your ideal morning coffee situation? When I do drink coffee, it's a black coffee hot with one Splenda, and I believe that's also what Lorna would drink in real life. A daddy cable. Daddy cable. I would, I would love that. I would love. It. Shout out to the Powers of X Men podcast. I just writers at Marvel Comics right now. Pretender's death, like be. Right, Familia, Power of X Men, we're with. Do you love Power of X Men? I love Power of X Men. Oh my god, Maggie, I'm literally fanboying out right (laughs) now. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, thanks for asking for me to do this interview. Uh, it's nice to meet you. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? I don't think you understand how a one kitty pride from X-Men Evolution has seriously influenced my personality growing up. <laughs> really? How so? What did you like about this character that made you feel so influenced? Okay. I think that's a really convoluted question. And by the way, brownie points for turning the interview on me. <laughs> I'm supposed right to be- <laughs> okay but because because i haven't really delved deep into this one kitty was never really in the other x-men animate series she was only in pride of the x-men so she was kind of mia and it was always like kind of big question mark of where she was uh two i was obsessed with the movie clueless and i mm-hmm. love the valley girls and i just all about that. So when I saw Kitty, I was like, oh, my God, Shadowcat's going to be in the show. And then she sounded the way you, you you brought her to life. And it was everything. And I must have been like 14, 15 when the show hit. And I felt so confident walking around with my own Valley Girl accent. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, here living in Vancouver, I was I was born in B.C. and I've been brought up in Vancouver. We have a lot of influence from L.A., and California culture. So I think that's where the Valley Girl influenced me. And I was already talking like that. And even kids, teenagers today, I hear them say like, 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 way too much. I mean, (laughs) I I say like, like, like way too much. And it's your fault, Maggie. (laughs) It is your fault. (laughs) That didn't happen here in Miami. People in Miami did not say like. We say pero like. But not like so. It's oh yeah. Oh. Some, I was saying I when I knew you wanted to interview me, and I was thinking, gosh, like that was a while ago. Let me uh, refresh my mind about how I was and how my acting performance was. And I was watching a little bit of YouTube videos. There's quite a few fans who love X Men Evolution, the Warner Brothers show that I was on. Yeah. 
And gosh, I was like, yeah, wow, I really did talk like a valley girl. And now 20 years later, I've kind of calmed that voice down, but I can still go there. <laughs> Wait, so was that more your natural voice? That wasn't a directive that you were given? That was, me. That was you? Oh, I always <laughs> thought, <laughs> I love it so much. But I have so many LA friends and who grew up in the valley and they do speak like that. But I always thought, because again, I was I was a kid growing up in South Florida. The idea of California was so foreign to me. I thought that was more performative, like like how I was in Clueless. Oh my god, you see how I said like like eight times in that sentence? <laughs> no, for real. Everybody talked like that. And yeah. I think I, I was um growing up my I had hippie parents. Mm-hmm. And then I was just always involved in the different subcultures. So I was into skateboarding and snowboarding and the rave culture and all of that subculture, I think, I don't know, twisted the way I talked a little bit. And my mom was a movie fanatic and watched tons of films. It was always showing me more classic films. Not that they talk like Valley Girls, but mm-hmm. yeah, some, for some reason that was me. And then I think they just liked it. That's why they cast me. Uh, lots of high energy. And then they just kept on writing the likes and the oh my gods and all of that into the script. Well, first of all, I want to pull on the thread that you just said, because you were talking about how you grew up in all these different subcultures and raves in particular. And I was Mm -hmm. just talking to a friend how I miss the days of where we had pierced tongues that were like glow in the dark (laughs) rings and you were just dancing (laughs) to to like, yeah, exactly like that. (laughs) No, no cell phone, no Twitter, nothing. You were in the moment dancing to like three in the morning. And it's like this late 90s Y2K culture that just does not exist anymore. Oh, it was so good. And you know, that's so funny that you said till three in the morning because old school raver girlfriend of mine called me up just last week and invited me to go out and see one of our old friend DJs who in our 20s was a well-known DJ in the city. And then he moved to Berlin and he's been gone for maybe 20 years and he just came back and she called me and was like, let's go see Noah Pred. And so we went and saw him. And because he was on from one till three in the morning, she wanted to stay that long. And like, I do not do hard drugs anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, same. (laughs) And so I was like getting tired and I was sitting in the back and there was all these way younger kids. And I was just like, but I was still dancing. I was like taking little breaks. And I was like, wow, we stayed up dancing till three in the morning. (laughs) It was awesome. It was super fun. So and yeah, we don't get as much uh, eye contact anymore. People seem uncomfortable with eye contact. People feel uncomfortable with phone calls. And there's so much misunderstanding with interpreting the meaning and the feeling and the tone behind texts. Oh, I agree so much. I, I kind mean, of feel sorry for this generation. They're missing out on a lot of human connection. I, I well, they they will never know the frustration of having to call your friend long distance, and it was like twenty five cents a minute or something like that, whatever it was back in the day, but. <laughs> There is something about being present in the moment and and not only just what you were talking about, Maggie, about like those social cues that they're lacking, but also being able to make mistakes and not end up on the Internet. Wow. Like I remember my friend, my friend, my, my little cousin, she was talking about this is years ago. So this is even an outdated thing. But they had like a Facebook group dedicated to like the kids in their school where they would take photos of them when they're not looking. And I'm oh. like. Can you imagine you at like 12, 13, where you're just your body is so awkward and you're changing 
And then there's a photo of it that will always be there, always coming up to remind you. Oh, oh gosh. And like bad skin or whatever oh, those no. awkward moments. I used to think I wanted to get a nose job when I was a teenager because I think our bodies are puffier or something when we're yeah. in that process. And I'm so glad I didn't because I love my nose now and I don't have any surgery. <laughs> no, and you look fabulous. My God. You're not, I, I It baffles me that that you are probably unaware of how much people a love X-Men evolution in the X-Men fan community. And also that your performance is breakout level. Like everyone Aww. always talks about Kitty. The two that always come up is Kitty and Gothrock. Those are the two characters everyone loves. Thank you so much. It's flattering for sure. Because, you know, as an actress, I started when I was, three years old acting oh, wow. uh, um my first job i think was uh four years old on stage in a theater production and then i started doing voice work i did dubbing at four years old for you a feature film. dubbing at four yeah and then just the ball rolled and you know making my own money bought my own bike bought my own bunk beds i was like this is pretty good oh my god <laughs> bunk beds were the shit <laughs> <laughs> I had bunk beds and it was like an iconic, like all the kids in the neighborhood came when they were delivered because right? of the bunk beds. <laughs> yes. And so then getting this role, I had done quite a lot already. Um, I was in one of the original My Little Ponies, like yeah. uh, My Little Pony Tales. Um, so I had lots of experience already, but this was a, a really cool show because it was such a fun cast. And, um, you know, before COVID and everything, when people weren't afraid of being in the same room with each other, we would do uh, prelay sessions. So, you know, there's dubbing and then there's prelay. And so the fun thing about this show was it was prelay, meaning the actors go in and we're all in a big sound studio together. So, you know, Scott McNeil playing Wolverine and all, all the different uh, actors all together. And actors are crazy and wacky. That's why we are actors, right? We can just yeah. like shape shift into all these different characters. Everybody's really funny and outgoing and confident. Um, and so they would film us. They would film me talking with my hands and this kind of thing. And then they would bring that video down to L.A. where they would make the drawings. And so they were very influenced by us actors. So all of Kitty's movements, that kind of thing, was the way that I was talking naturally and the way that my body was moving. There's even, I don't know specifically what episode, but they have a little, you know, they call it like an Easter egg, like a little secret yeah. drop in the anime. There's a Maggie Blue Road. Oh, I know yeah. that. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> yes, I love that call out to you. Yeah. Oh my God. But it's so funny that you're talking about like her fluidity and everything, because even seeing you here, I see her. I, I, It's so funny. And that's a testament to how good you were at embodying her. And <laughs> like, you. I just love that so much. Wait, so I, I, I was always under the impression, and I don't know too much about animation and how it's done behind the behind the scenes uh, and and voice acting but i was always under the impression you guys always recorded not your your team specifically but in general voice actors record separately was that it was x-men evolution the outlier for that bringing you all in and doing all that or was that maybe like par for the course for the industry then well, from my experience, when we would do dubbing, meaning that a show was usually already popular in a different culture, 
So for example, all the Japanese anime that I did over the years, that would already be a huge success in Japan. And then they want to bring it over for the North American market. Uh, so they would get, they, they could go to the States, but uh, Canadians would work for cheaper, basically. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I've heard those so, stories. That, right? that part of the industry I'm familiar with. Yeah. So same, like Toronto, New York, Vancouver, LA. So we would get cast. Um, and so for the dubbing, that my experience was one actor at a time. We would focus on the characters the line so say page one uh, a certain time code and they would set that up and then I would be back on that page one from my script and I would have that one line and I would watch the the mouth flaps so that's gotcha. dubbing right yeah and that's more for like something that's already popular from a different culture we see lots of that and I never watch it on Netflix there's like lots of sexy looking shows but then it's dubbed and it's so badly dubbed that I don't want to watch it <laughs> it's like I don't want to watch it I listen we're huge <laughs> anime fans here so <laughs> I mean, I remember having to go get bootlegs of Sailor Moon um, on the internet just because we were so desperate to have them dubbed and they never were dubbed. But wait, I want to pull on a thread earlier in the conversation because you you started acting when you were three or four years old. You were on your first stage. Was it your mom's love of movies that just at a young age, you just fell in love with that art form and you wanted to act? Is that sort of your your pathway into performing? Yes, uh, I, from what I remember, and what I my mom would tell me it was me, like she was very supportive and always has been just wanting whatever I want to do, she wants to help and support me. So she would take me as you do bringing kids to a little kids theater show or something. Mm -hmm. And I would kids theater, let adults like, hey, kids, this kind of thing, or they would, you know, do something fun. And I was like, Mom, I can do that. Believe me, help me. I got I got to do it. I'm an actress. And then so and but I love I've always loved singing, dancing and acting all three of those I just love so I love singing as well. And I was in dance companies over the years, and I still dance. So all three of those performing arts, mm -hmm. just enable me to shine and express myself. I think we all, I mean, not everybody, but most, lots of humans love to sing and dance. It's kind of a natural thing. But yeah, it was my mom who heard me saying, this is what I needed to do. And then she just looked in the paper and was just found like a local theater company that was in a really nice theater. And uh, it was um, Tennessee Williams Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yes. With Maggie the Cat and, yeah. um, and, and Brick, her gay husband, right? That's like a classic theater. It's so great. And there's a bunch of annoying little bratty nieces and nephews running around. And I was one of those little um, kids who like spit in the, you know, fam in the Maggie the cat's face and that kind of thing. So started off as a brat <laughs> and, and loved it and got so much, you know, that, that joy of like interaction with live theater yeah. was I think a natural rush. And then I started getting commercials, um, being in like a Zoodles was like spaghetti in a can. And that paid for like 10 years before the wow. union, before the union um, would give you a buyout. Like now yeah. they buy you out. So basically you get paid almost double mm -hmm. and then you don't get paid anymore. Whereas then back in the day, the old school days in the 80s and 90s, you would get residuals, meaning every time it aired, the union would take a little bit more for you. So I got paid for 10 years for that one commercial. Yeah. And you're like three years <laughs> right. old. You're like three years old with your brand new bike, like suited up going around the neighborhood. 
<laughs> I love that. Oh, it was God. fun for me, but definitely some kids didn't like it. Like I had a hard time growing up because I would get lots of, uh, I would get, I uh, have to go to set. I would yeah. miss a month off school or something like that. And then I'd come back with new clothes and the teachers would give me like, oh, Maggie's back from being on set. Tell us about how amazing it was. And I would feel embarrassed because I didn't want so much attention on me. Yeah. It was like, you know, just a sport or a job or like a job. <laughs> as as a kid, but as an eight year old, <laughs> no, was but... making the family money. <laughs> no, but you know what, what I love about what you said was 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 it's kind of like twofold here. You you want it to. This is something you need it to do. Excuse me, you need it to act. Your mom listened to you. You did it, and then when you were coming back to school, people wanted to talk to you about it, and you were embarrassed. You you just wanted to be a kid. You you just there was something in you that wanted to perform, to dance to act, to sing, it wasn't supposed to be something that would make you different than other kids. And then that's yeah. when it all happens, right? Like, oh, yeah. Mag Maggie's back. And then all the other kids get upset and then you're put on the spot and oh. Yeah, and it's like a jealousy. And then they always thought that I was thought I was better than anybody else. And for real, I always just loved everybody's uniqueness and was always wanting to like rise the vibe and just yeah. I was had a celebratory energy and never thought I was better than anybody. No. Everybody's gorgeous. Yeah. Well, I mean, celebratory energy is how I would describe you. And just knowing you for like 20 <laughs> minutes, I just, I love your vibe. So you started, did you say you started dubbing early on? When did you start dubbing? Yeah. There was a film called something like, uh, so you can, uh, if you could see what I hear, I think it was like what it was. It was a blind guy. And he oh, had yeah. a daughter. He had a daughter in the film, mm -hmm. and she was, you know, a cute uh, little kid in the films. And it was American, so it got cast in the states. Mm -hmm. But then, because she was only like two or three, her, her clarity and articulation of pronouncing words wasn't that good. And I was only four, I think. But I don't know. For some reason, I was I was already talking at like six <laughs> months old. <laughs> I'm not shocked about that. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I had good clarity. And so, yeah, I just remember being like really small as you are at like four and then <laughs> bringing the music stand and the mic down really low yeah. and going into a big dark room. And it had a huge actual theater size screen, movie screen. And we would watch the film and then it would stop at certain points where this girl was in the film. And there was one scene where she was drowning and I had my mom was beside me and she would pass me a glass of water and I would go. I would gargle and I go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I mean, this sounds like an intense scene for the movie, but I'm giving you water and you gargling and pretending I was drowning, drowning right there in the street. Oh my god! And then cut. It's a wrap, and I'm like, "Hey, great, let's go get the lunch." <laughs> <laughs> but that's fortuitous that you fell into that because dubbing, obviously, in the '90s with the rise of anime. I mean, became such a big thing. And a lot of your credits, I mean, you were doing Dragon Ball Z. You were doing Card Captors. You were doing Hello Kitty. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are huge roles. And you're already ahead of the curve doing that. Yeah, it was interesting. And uh, in 2014 and 2015, two years in a row, the London anime cosplay conventions. Yeah somehow found me and uh, one of the girls who was a part of the organizing committee deciding, you know, who was going to be guests of honor and things like that. 
they paid for my trip to London. And at that time I was living in Hong Kong and I was like, you know, one of those days, like, why, why, when will something cool just come and land on my lap? <laughs> and then I got this email, would you like an all expense, all expenses paid trip to London, England for 10 days? I was like, yes, I would. <laughs> You're like, yes, I would. And I'm coming in from Hong Kong. <laughs> and that was great. Two years in a row. I was their guest of honor. And um, I just brought that up because it's cool, but also because they, uh, so many of those fans were like really excited to meet me saying that in the nineties, uh, Dragon Ball Z was the first Japanese anime with English dubbing yeah. that they'd ever seen. They'd never seen any Japanese anime before and it blew their mind and it just turned them onto a whole new world of art and yeah. cartoon world and animation potential. And that my voice was Bulma and that, I don't know, meeting, meeting me after, you know, 20 years of watching that show, I guess is exciting. <laughs> it's exciting for everyone. It's me right now, for everyone tuning in at home, I guarantee you the amount of DMs I'm going to get about you. It's going to be next level because you just, I think there is something about, and, and just knowing you now, you just connect with people, something about your, your celebratory energy. That's just really infectious and just puts people in a good mood which is how hey. i would describe kitty's <laughs> presence but so what was it like working on animes especially in the 90s when it was kind of like uncharted territories i mean we had a couple of animes in the 80s but it was really those 90s animes that were boom and did you ever audition for sailor boom <laughs> if you remember i never did i don't know where that got cast maybe it was an american thing or maybe it was yeah. toronto you'll have to look it up i don't yeah. know Sailor Moon yeah. never came on my radar until it was already out there. And I was like, what about me? I know you would have been perfect <laughs> on there. <laughs> but I saw you did you 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 did uh, Hello Kitty, Car Captors, Dragon Ball Z. I mean you Gundam have... Wing in Yasha. Yeah, endless Waltz. Yes, you did endless waltz. Like <laughs> it is I mean, it, that was a vibe. That was an era. Like you guys were the frontiers. For that. I think because it was just coming our way. My agent was just like, do you want to audition for this? Sure. I'll go in audition for it. You get it the next week. Great. In the, I was, I was rolling in the money in the nineties. I was, um, I had no idea how privileged I was because it, I am not as rich as I was back then, to be honest. Well, uh, so it was just coming, it was just coming my way. And I guess, um, you know, when you're, there's a certain moment when you're like, considered hot or something like this yeah. um not looks i'm saying but like you know you're people yeah, you're like, an industry buzz yeah, yeah you know so it's like oh let's get maggie to do it again so that was awesome i thought that was just gonna happen for the rest of my life <laughs> I, I, I mean everything comes in waves and you yeah. were i mean listen you were a kid you were just working you know what i mean like yeah that's and it was at ocean sound studio where a lot of it all happened and um and was it called Bondi? Yeah, so Bandai. Like Bandai. 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 Yeah. So or Bondi. Yeah. I mean, you're the professional here. I'm like Bandai. <laughs> you're like Bondi. <laughs> you're like I'm gonna be polite to you. <laughs> it's Bondi. <laughs> I was trying to remember. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Bandai, Bondi. Um, but that company would come a lot, and they would have all of these animations to do. And I guess they just you know it, it like you say it became a vibe that I, they just knew me and they knew I was easygoing and fun to work with I hope and so I just got lots of all the girl roles all the teenage girl voices and until I became a mom I mean I now that I'm talking I guess I still pretty much have a pretty high voice but 
until I became a mom, like, and had to like slow down. Maybe I got tired. (laughs) (laughs) My voice got lower. I I can do a lower voice, but I guess when I get excited, my voice gets higher. But I was always getting cast no matter what my age as like a teenage girl. That was my thing. So did you ever hear about the X-Men growing up? In between your in between raves and auditions, <laughs> did the X Men ever come on your radar? Um, you know, I used to go to Seattle, like, and see like Nirvana and all those grunge bands back in those days. And there were some cool comic shops, but I think at the time I was into like more quirky, smaller brands, like not Marvel or that yeah. or DC or stuff like that. So I, I guess I thought that was, to be honest, I more of a boy yeah. thing. Or not, not that I would, not that I cared so much about gender or anything, but I just thought, oh, I'm not sure what that's about. Like, I yeah, wasn't no. Yeah, the, the comic like, books well, were very much a yeah. boys medium yeah. back in the 90s. Right. But then once I got in and got the part and was being paid well and was having fun <laughs> with the, all the other actors, I was like, this is cool. And I really appreciated the uh, the school for like the Xavier school yeah. for kids that had powers. And then I started being like, hey, like, I wish we could create a real one like that. Like <sighs> nobody teaches us about our six sense and our intuition and i bet humans have more powers than we've been told we do and if at an early age those powers were supported we would all have a lot more power well i mean i a i agree wholeheartedly with you and one of the reasons why the x-men resonated with me so much growing up is i obviously i was growing up gay in the closet and the idea that there was a school out there that would accept you for who you are, you let you embrace your power and be with yes. like-minded people was such a powerful narrative for me growing up. And I, I, I was saying this to to Stephen when we had him on the podcast. I the X Men, the original X Men cartoon uh, that Eric uh, Leewald did, they felt like adults to me. Right, I was a kid. I was like ten when that came out, and they were adults. But then X-Men Evolution comes along and all of a sudden your characters are my age and it transforms from being these people you look up to, to like hanging out with your friends when you're watching it. Uh It's so much more relatable. So relatable. And it's so interesting that all these years later, I mean, they're doing X-Men 97, which is a reboot of the original or revival, excuse me, of the original X-Men series. But the one I get so many DMs about. People are like, why are they reviving X-Men 92? It needs to be X-Men Evolution because they want yes. a continuation. They want to see you guys back. Yeah. <laughs> and cast me as Kitty's mom or something. No, my God. You are Kitty. What are you talking <laughs> about, Kitty's mom? Okay. Wait, so is Kitty your favorite X-Men? I know you said you weren't too familiar, but is she your favorite X-Men? Is there another like X-Men out there that you're like, wow, that that's a cool character. That's a cool character. For sure. Um, I mean, Storm was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, Stassi, that she can just conjure up nature. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a wild child. I love nature. Anything to do with the, the elements, I'm totally into. So Storm, for sure, for female power. And Wolverine, I mean, he was hot, right? I mean, he's so hot. The way you guys even had him on, on the cartoon with, like, his yeah. hair parted down the middle. Like, that and- 90s boy hair. Like, yes. Oh my god, I gotta show you after our interview. I'll send me your email or else I'll tell you my email. 
uh, send it to me. I've got a picture of my boyfriend who yeah. is uh, runs an organic gardening company, and yeah. he. I've got a picture of him with another picture of Wolverine, and they look. He looks like Wolverine. Oh my god! Please send it to me. So I will oh, love and that, them. another thing is, he came with me on the second year to the London Anime Convention, and I dressed up like Bulma, all in blue, <laughs> and he dressed up like Wolverine with these like shing. <laughs> oh my god! With the claws, with the adamantium claws, that is iconic. Oh, I wish I would have been there to have seen that. Do you do? Do you still do conventions? Uh, whenever I get invited, those were the only two I've been invited to. But yeah, hello world, invite right. me. I will well, come and sass up your convention. Sidebar: I do some. Uh, I do some convention booking for some of the talent we've had on the podcast. So I'd be happy to pitch you for anything. Yay! We can chat about that. Not to step on Pamela's jurisdiction here, though. <laughs> so if Pamela, you're listening. I'm not. I'm not coming for your job. <laughs> but if you ever. But I, I. I know for a fact that X Men Evolution, and that's not me blowing smoke up. A, you know your ego here. X-Men Evolution is always in our conversation. There's still people who cosplay as your characters. Hmm. There's still a huge source of fans who have now rediscovered it because I believe it's on Disney+. Plus. I haven't revisited the series since it was on DVD. But um, I just sounded like a grandpa there. I'm like, DVDs. <laughs> but you should be out there more because I know people would just love seeing your energy. And Steven's at all the conventions. I just saw him at WonderCon, I believe, in oh my god, I want to say LA, but it's not LA. It's in Anaheim. It's in Anaheim. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing it, and uh, I was on a panel with a bunch of other people who have been in the industry, as well as I sang. So I I sang a few songs, and um, I think on the second year, um, yeah, I, I I signed autographs, and people could buy like some merch and stuff like that, and it's it's very flattering. Yeah, well, that's it, it's a testament to your talent and how talented you are. Okay, so how did you how did you get on X Men Evolution? Do you remember that? I know I'm asking you to remember something from like 20 years ago, and I can't even remember what I did 20 minutes ago. But <laughs> what do you remember? Like the call you got, and you're like, "Oh, is this a Marvel thing?" Like, oh my yeah. God, you see, I did like again. It's your fault, Maggie. <laughs> this word is in my vernacular because of you. I love it. Uh... It was an audition, just like any other audition. And uh, back in those days, like these days now we do self-tapes. After all the COVID stuff, people, we pretty much have to have a good sound system at home to record. But back in those days, we would go into a sound studio and do the audition. So I went in, I did the audition. I think it was probably just like, usually it's like a one page where there's maybe five different chunks of lines where they want to see a happy and energetic and a sad and an action and a stress or like they want to see some range of emotion. And uh, yeah, I was in my early twenties. I still had that bouncy energy and just went for it. Um, now that I've been an acting teacher, I know so many more layers of script analysis and all the different little secrets of how to make acting, how to support young actors become better actors. Um, but back in those days, I was just getting so much work that I wasn't putting too much analysis into how to say it. I would read it. What emotion do they want? I'd put that emotion in and I would just do my best. Yeah. And I got the rule and I found um, on the first day, it was super exciting to meet all the different actors and 
we didn't know each other yet, but I think when we did that series for three or four years and it was maybe like one or two episodes once a week. So say we did two episodes, we'd do one episode and it would like record it. Um, And it would take maybe an hour or two, then we'd have a lunch break and then we'd go in and do another uh, hour session to get a second script. And we would do that once a week for maybe six months. So for those six months, you had lots of income and then it was up to you whether you wanted to like go and learn how to surf and (laughs) Hawaii or stay and get more work or up to you and then meet again next year. So we did that for quite a few years. So, I mean, at first I had no idea what I was being gifted. Uh, And now I do. Did you, so did you know it was Kitty Pride when you went into audition for her? I think they just called it Shadow Cat or something Shadow Cat, so her code name. Yeah, um, that that is huge because she is so she's huge in the comics, as you as you probably know. But her in the 80s and 90s, especially, I mean, she was Wolverine sidekick. I yes. mean, I mean, she was front and center and she was for she was the X-Men's ingenue. And I know Jubilee usually gets credit for that, but Kitty Pride is the OG ingenue. So that is a huge role. I mean, did people. Where people like, oh my god, you're you're playing Kitty Pride. Like anyone behind the scenes? Um, I think before it came out, people didn't really understand the magnitude of the mm-hmm. project. I mean, people heard that it was Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. so people appreciated and knew that it was going to be, you know, big budget and that it would get far and wide distribution. Yeah. But I don't think until it actually came out, and then my friends were like impressed and thought it was that I had the best job ever. <laughs> and then your friends are like, you're part of the Saturday morning cartoon like squad. <laughs> I'm just thinking I should also send you a picture I've got of me and Scott McNeil, which would be <gasps> Shadow Cat and Wolverine together. Yes, I would love, please send it. We're going to exchange emails at the end of this yeah. and I will love that and we'll post it for the familia on, on Instagram. But okay, so you're doing Kitty and was there a specific I know we kind of talked about that that was your natural voice and you know you kind of came in and you did what you were doing was there were you ever given like a directive with the character like what was your approach to her maybe like she was very I mean she was bouncy she was happy but she in many ways was a heart of the team especially that first season just because Mm -hmm. of that 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 energy I remember um I already had experience from doing Japanese anime, Mm -hmm. doing all the action sounds. So (laughs) 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 that kind of stuff, you know, I got so used to doing all of the, (laughs) all that kind of stuff that when I had to do it for Kitty Pride, I was like, okay, another, another action hero used to do that kind of thing. And it's, it's now that I teach acting as well, you know, it's, our whole instrument, our, our, our body is our instrument. And so, and it's just all that emotion has to come out through our mouth and through our tone. Yeah. Um, but it's also like really important to use your body as well. Watch out for not hitting the mic, but uh, use your use your body, use your, use your body language, use your posture. You know, if you're feeling sad, hunch your body, all that kind of thing. Um, I think by the time I got this job, I was in my 20s and I'd already been doing it since I was five. Yeah. So I already like knew what to it was like do, second nature actually. and I think that's why we all got cast is we were all just naturally 
talented, if I may say so, without sounding conceited. No, like, not at all. There's a reason why we're here talking about this yeah. like 20 some years later. I mean, yeah, you, I think it's fair to say you guys hit it out of the ballpark. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, she was a teenager. She was angsty. You know, she was uh, not super confident. I think there was like some insecurity in Kitty, you know, or like, you know, I just was rewatching some scenes and, you know, a little bit of like boy crazy, like, oh, you know, <laughs> just playing around with like the shyness and I mean, moments, same. right? <laughs> moments to be confident, moments to be shy. She was human. So I think the I think I should probably give credit to the writing because the writing was really good. And then that enabled me to just uh, not have to do too much consideration about script analysis or like how to get into that feeling she's sad connect to a moment that I felt sad she's you know feeling awkward or shy about a boy or I was I was boy crazy still am I was I can relate (laughs) you're like same kitty same I mean she's pretty person crazy in the comics so she's she she likes her Peters in the comics but one of the one of the uh characters that she has a relationship with in the series that everyone talks about is Lance. Did you do you know they call it Lancity online? Like really? Lance and Kitty from X-Men Evolution. No it way. So long, I swear to you. And by the way, I didn't even know that. It was Steven who told me that. Wow. Um well Avalanche, right? Yeah, yeah. Avalanche. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I was just thinking today, like based on one of your questions, like what was their connection or something? And you know how I was saying I'm like really interested in the elements and anything like that natural yeah. makes me inspired. Yes. And she she was so into like her power was all about the phasing in yeah. and through she'd some sort of molecular phaseability power. Yeah, yeah. And and he was all about the avalanche and the connection to the earth. I mean, yeah. maybe that's like too spiritual of an answer, but they no. both had. I was thinking that just this, the two. Yeah, they yeah. both had this power with the earth and this um, yeah, power to move the earth. And maybe that was kind of like they were like magnetic magnetism and electricity coming together or something. I love that response. Yeah. I mean, as you were saying it, that's exactly what I was saying. I was like, oh, that does make sense. She's she's airy. She's, you know, she she's very like elemental and he is the earth. He is a yeah. force. I mean, of course they're gonna come together right? and it's gonna and, work really well. And he's a hunk, right? He's oh like my God, so and... <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> daddy with the mullet. Oh well. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I he was that. a daddy when I, I first saw it. You gotta have the mullet now. You can play Lance in the reboot. <laughs> in the We're revival. Gender friend Bendy, right? <laughs> um, see, you know what was really interesting though was that Steven, when we talked to him, he mentioned that X-Men Evolution had beaten Pokemon in the ratings. And wow. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. I certainly didn't know that. And he theorized, or he didn't theorize, he said the reason for that was because. I think Pokemon was more boy-centered, like a lot of, of a boy audience, but X-Men Evolution was able to tap into girls as well. So you had a larger piece of the pie when it came to audiences. Yes, both male yeah. and female. 
So yeah. it probably stole the male and then the female. the female. And that's because you had such great representation with Jean Grey, Storm, Rogue. Yeah. I mean, obviously Kitty. We really, <laughs> I don't know how much more we can like gush about Kitty in the series because she was so <laughs> great. Because Kitty was MIA. Because I don't know. Did you know that there was an original like failed pilot called Pride of the X-Men, which starred Kitty Pride in the 80s, cool. but it didn't do well. So because they thought she wasn't a good character, they didn't put her in X-Men, the animated series. So it wasn't until Evolution came in that she was finally front and center. Wow. Well, they should have hired me for that first one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would have been way, but no shade, no shade. But yes, I'm sure we would have. I certainly would have enjoyed seeing you. And it was Toei. Toei did the uh, the animation for it. And they would do Sailor Moon and some of the other big animes uh-huh. of that era. Um, were there any unused stories that you remember that maybe you were pitched at the end of a season or something that you... Oh, I wish. I don't know for sure. Um, but, but I mean, yeah, we're talking about X-Men, so I won't talk about... Uh, the last one, the last show that I did was a Netflix show. It's called Ninjago. Yeah. Uh, Ninjago. It was like a popular Lego show. And I played um, a baddie on the show. I was ultraviolet. She was a purple mohawk Lego baddie girl. And um, I was going to be offered, I was offered a, a second season. I was in season eight and they were offering me season nine, but the director and the direction and the writing was getting darker and darker and darker. Yeah. And at that time, this was in 2018, I guess I was going through some changes. I was kind of, you know, as a mom and I was feeling like, what is my legacy? Yeah. What am I going to, you know, this is, it's a job. But if the actor, we go into a studio, we do all this emotional work, and then we leave, we get paid, and, like, that's that. Unless there's fans or other people telling us that they loved it, we don't hear much more about it, you know? Um, But so I was thinking about, what's my legacy, and do I want to do this dark character for a second year? Because they kept on saying, more evil, more evil. And it was, like, slashing heads and stuff like this in a Lego show. So they had the right to think that it wasn't there's no there's no blood so it's fine but it was still kids later watching the show being violent to each other and so I said no to that second season would would have been the ninth season so I'm not sure which actress did it but of course somebody's gonna take the money and do it yeah um but you know talking about like oh was there like another season that you could have done or another another episode that didn't get happen get made that was a whole other a whole other season I could have been in and made another 10 grand from, but I just, I bowed out of it. And then later when, you know, it was hard to pay the bills one month, I was like, hmm, maybe I should have. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> maybe slashing some Lego heads. Doesn't I, I gotta, like, no. Them, twist my arm a bit, but I felt <laughs> proud of myself for, you know, the, there's a, the film industry can be quite dark. So I think as a creative artist, we need to make some moral choices about what are we willing to participate in? No, Maggie, I I have to be very transparent with you. I think sticking to your morals or not even just morality, but just what feels right and what makes sense to you in that moment is so important. And I've certainly turned down some gigs because the organizations I just didn't jive with and get paid a lot of money and be able to meet your mortgage or, you know, stick to your principles and be an honest person, be true to who you are. Yes. You can't put a price on this. And and sometimes... Sometimes that choice, that answer isn't necessarily the 
best one, but it's the one that's best for you. So, oh, as if I wasn't already obsessed with you, just that <laughs> response now is so incredible. But yeah. Kitty, I mean, yeah, Kitty had some some big iconic um, storylines in the comics that I would have loved to have seen you do. One of them was called Days of Future Past, which got did get adapted into the movies. And Elliot Page, who, of course, played Kitty, uh, what did it? What did you think of Elliot Page's performance as Kitty? Uh, back when they were a she, yeah. um, she did a great performance. Uh when I I don't know at what moment she felt maybe her whole life yeah. she felt like a he and she was just acting as a girl yeah. I don't know but at that moment on X Men she was a feminine character yeah. but not overtly sexual which I appreciate you know we can be feminine and powerful and we don't have to be showing too much TNA uh, you know keep that for your lover who gets to see the good stuff and. <laughs> And so I appreciated that she was powerful and feminine, but not like in your face about sexuality. And she's a right. great actress. Oh, and so I great. I haven't seen any of their work since yeah. his transition, but yeah. uh, I'd be uh, you know supportive and interested. Yeah, I loved Juno. Juno is one of my favorite movies out there. And then, of course, Umbrella Academy. And and my friend, it, my friend Amanda, shout out to Amanda, who sometimes listens to the podcast, is Elliot's publicist, now book publicist. And oh, wow. I mean, just absolutely a wonderful human being from, from everything I've heard. But yeah, I think I, I really much, I think your version of Kitty was a bit more true to the comics, especially when she was of that age i mean now she's a bit yeah. older she's a pirate now in the comics oh wow <laughs> he's called captain yeah. kate now yeah she's had a revival the x-men have changed dramatically within the last like couple of years they now live on an island and they can resurrect it's really it's really interesting how they've revitalized the franchise now that of course disney has the rights to the x-men again oh, that's what's and going on so they're revitalizing that IP. So because, of course, it's going to be it's going to come to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Well, I was just talking about this with my partner, my boyfriend, saying, like, does the film industry have no imagination? They are always just bringing back the same thing. I mean, yeah. I guess if you hit a home run once with a brand, you might as well just hit it like seven more times. Yeah. <laughs> Bang that out. <laughs> Bang that out. A couple billion dollars. Until... Right? But like, I'm sure there's so many more epic, adventurous, mythological tales that could intrigue our human evolution, you know? But it's just like, oh. Marvel Superman again. Uh, I mean, I go and watch it too. I go and see it, but like we go and watch it and we like, we go, we listen to like the symbology and like we go, we try to go deeper to get the esoteric knowledge and not be mind controlled throughout the whole thing. I mean, listen, you're speaking my language. I want to go to a rave and then watch like the X-Men reboot with you. Like when it happens, I think. All that right, would bring be... me to Miami. Yeah. Well, I don't know if anyone wants to come to Florida now, but yeah, I mean, our weather's great, but yes. Yeah. Um, and can I ask, so, you know, at the end of the series, you know, it, it, so much was left open. Did you, did you, what did you think of that ending of, of the series and, and it was very beautiful, and it was this flash forward that the X Men will always have obstacles before them, but 
they will always be there. They'll be their truest selves. And, you know, among the team was, of course, Kitty. And I'm just curious on, because it is a beautiful ending, the way everything ended. And was it in the end that they be- they became allies with the other team, like the yeah. magnetic side? Yeah, yeah. Right? They so all they teamed all- up. Right. So in a way, you know, if we're talking about these esoteric meanings, you know, it's about like the dark and the light are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Right. And we can't just point fingers at the dark side. Have you ever heard that? When we point a finger at somebody else, there's three other fingers pointing back at us. I've never heard that saying before. Right. And, you know, don't you find that like when we complain or judge or bitch at somebody else sometimes we're actually at fault of doing the same thing or subconsciously don't realize that so um i like to believe we're all having a big awakening here on earth and becoming more responsible for our own actions and our own reactions Mm -hmm. and less blame and more taking responsibility to like oh how did that make me feel? And then be able to talk about it calmly and respectfully and talk yeah. things out. And so I feel like maybe that ending was maybe hopefully uh, showing like the dark and the light. Not that we want evil, because I'm not when I say dark, I don't mean I want to make peace with the evil side. Yeah. But we, we do need to embrace that inside of our bodies is dark. The The middle of the earth is dark. The soil is dark. The night sky is dark. Like there's no it's, problem with the darkness, right? There's no problem with darkness. It's part yeah. of the spectrum of humanity. I, right. I suffer so, oh my God, we're veering off my script here, but I love <laughs> it because this is why we love having these conversations. But the way I sort of dealt with my anxiety for such a long time was pushing my anxiety away. I'd be mm-hmm. like, no, this isn't normal. Why am I not? Fa- you shouldn't feel this. You shouldn't feel this. No, actually, I should feel this. Right. My my anxiety is a logical reaction to the situation I'm in. So instead of pushing away that darkness, embrace it. It's part of who I am. It's yes. part of the earth. It's organic. It's part of the spectrum of what it means to be human. And yes. there's nothing wrong with that darkness. Again, not not like evil, like chopping off Lego heads. Oh. But but the, sort of the messier parts of being human, it's what defines us and, and why it's so beautiful to be on this earth, experiencing what we experience and learning and yes. growing. So beautiful. And that's our body talking to us, yeah. right? It's saying like, Hey, like slow down right now. Or Hey, like time to leave this big crowded party or <laughs> whatever the anxiety is about. Like, listen to that. Yeah. yeah. I definitely had experiences. Uh, if we're going to talk about this a dark side for a minute, I used to have like this feeling like I had a big dark shadow over me for like the longest time. I didn't know what it was. I would wash my face and I'd be like, what's this darkness? And I had this experience with a friend and um, okay, I'm going to be honest. I had a puff of salvia divinorum, which is like a plant that's out yeah. there in the world. It's natural. Yeah. And he's like, uh, you're just going to want one puff. And I was like, oh, I'm going to want more than that. <laughs> then I, I had one puff and then all of a sudden I felt this huge shadow again. I'm like, oh no, not that shadow again. And then instead of pushing it away, like you were saying, resisting that energy, I laid down And all of a sudden I went, I felt like I went right into the, like maybe six feet down into the earth. And I had the earth kissing me. Like it felt like little fairies or something. And it was like, like, oh, and it was like, this dark shadow is your power. You are huge. Your, your energy is much bigger, like an aura kind of thing. It's just you and your dark, powerful energy that you can step into. And it's not like I'm going to become a psycho killer or something. It's like that, um, 
the power, the grace, the the inner wisdom, yeah. all of that is ours to take and to embody. And we don't have to be afraid of our big, giant, fabulous self. No, don't be afraid. Folks at home, do not be afraid of your big, fabulous self. Always embrace <laughs> who you are. Right? Okay, Maggie, last question, because this is a part, this is something that you surely have had to have seen the comparisons for. Kitty and Rogue dance in one episode, and oh. that is a panel for, or excuse me, like screen for screenshot of Buffy and Faith from Buffy the Vampire Slayer dancing. I mean, did you know that at the time? Is that something oh. you discovered later? No, no one did. No one did until recently. No one told us that. So I have no recollection of that being a thing when we were all, you know, making those sounds like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, your hair looks so good. Dance floor, sister. <laughs> <laughs> like, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just dancing sexy in the sound booth, you know? Yeah. And then it comes out. And then only until you sent me that question, I was like, well, I knew who Buffy was. I didn't know who yeah. Faith was. And I looked yeah. it up. And then I went and saw the scene. And then I went back and I looked at the scene with us dancing. I'm like, wow, it is. You're like, Except yeah. It is. I, I don't. Uh, which was which was filmed first though? Do we know the dates? Buffy, Buffy's filmed first. Buffy is okay. filmed first, and and Stephen and some of the other people on the production side were huge Buffy fans. Okay. So some of your character models are based off of the Buffy characters. In particular, Charisma Carpenter is based off of, or Jean Grey is based off of Charisma Carpenter's look or, or reference. However, they do it in animation, but yeah. um, yeah, they were big Buffy fans, and that in that that clip, Maggie. Every time I post it or my friend Ralph posts it, we're talking so many views, and everyone always message, always to say, well, "I didn't know that." And it's like this clip has been circulating for years at this point. Everyone yeah, it's pretty sexy, isn't it? Oh my god, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> well, now I know it's based off of your like bombolating energy, like. Of <laughs> Maggie, is there are there any projects we can we can plug that you have upcoming? Where can fans connect with you? Where where can they slide into your DMs? Ooh, well, um, you can follow me um at Maggie Blue Music on Instagram. Okay, wait, I don't even think I'm following you. I'm gonna follow you <laughs> right now. Yes, well, we're all about opening up the vibe to the community. Maggie, right, so Blue I'm at Music. Maggie Blue Music. Okay, I and I just post positive memes and little videos of myself and things like that and music when I make any more original music. And then um, you can also check out my website, Maggie blue love tribe.com. All right. And so yeah, the love tribe, Maggie blue love tribe.com. And on there um, you can see my music and you can see photos of me. My, I have a little blog. I write little articles whenever I'm inspired. And then I also teach uh, private one-on-one -on -one online voiceover classes. So if anybody out there has ever had the dream of learning how to be a voiceover animation star, you can learn from me. Yes. Learn from Kitty Pride herself. <laughs> Maggie, this has been the best interview ever. Thank you so much for being on here. You're welcome. My pleasure. Really fun to talk about all these good times. Ugh, Professor Xavier is such a jerk. The first time I ever met the X-Men, the first day, they were ambushed and captured and caged by you.
I learned more about good and evil in that one day than I have ever since. Look, I learned more about good and evil in that one day than I ever have before or since. I was 13 when I think about evil. Whenever I think about the concept of evil, yours is the face I see. I don't have to watch you, Miss Frost. I can smell you. Maggie, holy fucking shit. I'm so sorry to curse like that. <laughs> oh my God. That is incredible. That So those are like her iconic lines. That was like one of her big moments. Uh, call me Kate. 